0: Hello and welcome to The Hash on Coindesk TV, where we get you up to speed on all that is going on in the world of crypto. I'm Zach Seward. That's Wendy O, Will Foxley, and Jen Sinassi, who's leading us off today with our first story. Jen, take it away.
2: All right. We're talking about Goldman Sachs. They say they are set to spend tens of millions of dollars on discounted crypto investments. This is according to a report by Reuters. The investment bank is looking at crypto firms whose valuations have taken hits after the implosion of FTX. As we all remember, FTX filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy on November 11th, sending the industry into a deeper downward spiral than we were already on. Will, welcome back to the show. We missed you. I'm going to toss it off Thank to you, you first. What do you think of this?
3: Yeah, we actually have another report coming from the Financial Times this morning. They seem to have found the four or the $5.4 billion hole in Alameda's and FTX's balance sheet. And this is uh, venture capital money that we're seeing float into a lot of different pockets. Uh, this report, again, Financial Times, you can go look it up online. It's pretty damning evidence of the misallocation of capital that flowed through FTX and Alameda. Uh, it goes through a lot of different companies. And now I think people are going to start asking questions about those companies that received funding from these teams. How did that funding get there? Was it responsible for that funding to go there? And was it client funds that went into these different venture capital bets? There's a lot of different teams on this list. Don't know the exact number off the top of my head, but we're looking at dozens of different crypto companies that are essential to the space. I think the largest one was Genesis Mining. It was about a $500 million investment. And just go down the list, there's even, even more. So this is pretty big news to tee off the morning. Just tying it back into the Goldman Sachs news, it makes sense for Goldman Sachs to step in, right? Like, Prices are down. There's still some good teams out there that got rugged by FTX and Alameda. And now they're trying to figure it out, how to like make the next best step. Goldman Sachs is coming in there with their big banker money. They can buy up and scoop up a lot of smaller teams for cheaper valuations and make more money. And that's how you do it in the banking world. That's how you make a legacy. Zach, I want to kick the story up to you, get your take on it.
0: Buying in the dip, eh? Goldman Sachs buy in the dip. But this time, crypto firms, not crypto coins, just FYI. T Y O R whatever, whatever. Anyway, (laughs) I think this is interesting because like Fidelity obviously is rolling out its crypto offering. Goldman Sachs is trying to be here for the long haul. So you have all these traditional brokerage firms who are saying, okay, this is an opportunity for us. Everyone's freaking out because all these poorly regulated offshore exchanges are blowing up left and right. This is an opportunity for us to cement our positions as a place where people can go and get crypto. So I think it's really fascinating that Goldman Sachs is out here peddling this exclusive to Reuters, saying, "Hey, we're on a shopping spree—a little bit of a little bit of a pre-holiday run-up where they're going to buy up some firms and make some additional investments in what they see as probably continuing to be a part of their business going forward." So kind of interesting. Wasn't really expecting that this would be announced so publicly, but for Goldman Sachs to say, "Hey, you know, if FTX isn't going to get the job done, you know, Wall Street might be able to do so." That—that's—that's quite—that's quite a signal. So anyway. Those are my thoughts. Jen.
2: Yeah, so just off the back of that, I it does really seem like they're seeing the opportunity and they're seizing that opportunity. I think their messaging is really interesting here. They said that there's an increased need for trustworthy players in the industry. I think that's really kind of ironic, right? This industry was set up to be trustworthy because the traditional banks, the traditional financial system was not, and now here's Goldman Sachs coming in to save the day because they think that, you know, the industry needs to be a little bit more trustworthy and that they are the best people to do that. Wendy, what do you think? What do you think of of this messaging?
1: It's kind of funny and ironic at the same time, because I think some of the, the companies that they're going to come in and buy the dip on are going to be more traditional like firms. And I think the collapse of FTX was really done by traditional financial people, not necessarily crypto people. But at the same time, I think that this is bad for the crypto industry as a whole. We're having a centralized third-party predatory industry come in and swoop some of these systems up or whatever it is that they're buying. Who knows what they're buying yet? Um, So it's going to be a bad thing for the industry because realistically, when you look at it, the banking industry is probably one of the biggest Ponzi schemes and scams in the world. Um, But it is what it is, and it's going to continue to happen. And it's just really sad for for the crypto industry as a whole. And yes, it's also sad for Bitcoin too.
0: Some good stats in here and nonetheless. They've invested in 11 crypto companies Goldman Sachs has. Their team on the crypto side is more than 70 folks now, including a seven-person crypto options and derivatives trading desk. So it's wild to see Goldman Sachs taking this seriously while other people, Jamie Diamond, are out here throwing shade on the entire sector itself. So Goldman, interesting, wouldn't have put them as growing their team, growing their effort, and obviously putting a little bit of money, obviously not huge by big bank standards, but a little bit of money into buying up some deals. So interesting to see. I saw Will and Wendy go, so I'm going to let you do really, it out. Really,
1: really I want to fight Wendy um, really
0: quick though.
2: Oh gosh,
1: let, let's here fight. We go. Hey, I'm going to fight right now. Let me tell you something. <laughs> JP Morgan, JP Diamond, they, all, they are all very invested and interested in crypto. They just have to play the part to mainstream media news. And as always, you guys, don't trust mainstream media news. And if you are, make sure to look at multiple different sources. Go ahead, Will. You can take it now.
0: I don't
3: think this is bad news, okay? The fact is Goldman Sachs exists right now. They're going to exist tomorrow. They're going to exist in 10 years. So why not embrace them, allow them to move into this space? Yes, there's some cronyism there. Yes, there's some access to resources a lot of other people in crypto don't have. But why not usher them in? If they're going to exist, allow them to move into the space and be better actors than FTXs. I mean, crypto obviously couldn't even police itself. So, uh, you know, maybe we deserve Goldman Sachs to come in and swoop up a bunch of companies for cheap. And Zach, what you pointed out, they have a 70-person team. They're doing a lot of due diligence on these things. And they're going to give life to a lot of these projects that are probably good. They're probably fine. They just don't have capital anymore because FTX rugged them. So I think this is a good thing. I think if you saw this 12 months ago, Wendy, you would have been pretty happy to see, oh, Goldman Sachs is stepping <laughs> in the space. I think it's only because this comes on the heels of FTX and a lower price movement. You're looking at of being like, mm, I'm a little skeptical. And you put the tinfoil hat back on.
1: The tinfoil crown, okay. It's the tinfoil queen crown, <laughs> Queen <laughs> Wendy. <laughs> um, no, but you know, just as long as we still have access to true decentralized products and dexes, and they don't try to eliminate code because code is language is very important. That we need to keep reminding people that I'm fine with it. it doesn't matter, anyways. The the big banks of people with money are going to win. The underdogs were just kind of too lazy to step up and do anything about it. Sadly.
0: Damn that was like a that was like a call to revolution. That was, that was. That was nice. You you're trying to prod the, you're trying to get people out there, get, get, the, get the pitchforks out. That was nice. All right. Anyway, we'll ch- we're changing gears. We're changing gears. We're going over to MetaMask. Okay. So <laughs> MetaMask got, uh, got itself into a little bit of a Twitter firestorm a while ago when people got really mad that MetaMask was sharing certain data with Infura, which is a consensus sister company that runs a lot of the backend software that many dApps run on. So in response to this backlash, Consensus is updating MetaMask's policies around data sharing, making it more easier for people to opt out of some of the practices that had previously been published in the terms of service. To much scorn and loud tweets from people who t- take this stuff seriously, and rightly so. Obviously, the privacy concerns in the space are warranted, and obviously Consensus, which owns MetaMask, is responding in suit. So I'm going to toss this to Jen for her initial thoughts. MetaMask kind of walked him back, what had been out there and uh, caused, caused a bit of a fuss. What are you thinking on this one?
2: Yeah, so you know, with the FTX story, we spoke a lot about journalists and their role in holding companies accountable on behalf of the public. This story showed me that the public can still hold companies accountable and customers still have a voice. And so if you read terms and conditions and there are things in the terms and conditions that you don't agree with or that don't align with what that company is saying publicly with what that company is saying their mission and values are, if you vocalize that, there is action that can be taken. And so that's what the story showed me. I think that consensus responded really well. There was a quote in the article that said, you know, by being increasingly clear about exactly how data was managed by various consensus products, there were some valid critiques and concerns raised, especially by people who ultimately have the highest privacy standards. I think they did a great job of communicating. They are taking recourse on what their consumers have said. And so I think that this whole thing has been handled really well. And it was so nice to see. Wendy?
1: I'm excited to see that they're kind of changing their terms of services, but I still don't completely trust MetaMask. And no, I'm not trying to be a negative Nancy on the show. (laughs) I just have a big problem with like third parties dealing with my crypto stuff. I like my privacy. Yes, I pay my crypto taxes. I don't like to do it, but I do. I'm not trying to hide anything from anyone. I just like to have privacy. It's a good thing. However, I will say, just because they're coming out and saying they're changing their terms of services, I would still be very weary. Again, we saw PayPal come out and change um, require. They were going to do that uh, up to 200, two hundred twenty five hundred dollar fine for posting misinformation on the internet. I did I help lead a PayPal charge or cancel PayPal charge, um, and they went me and a bunch of other people. It ended up working because the company backtracked on it and retracted it. But then it came out a couple of days later in the media that they weren't actually backtracking. And that is still indicated in their terms of services. So just because Metamask is coming out now today saying, hey, we're going to change this, do whatever. I would still read the terms of services and I would still stay very diligent on this.
3: Okay, I'm taking the tinfoil hat from Wendy and putting it on. And I'm taking Crown. the complete opposite approach on this story. They've been logging IPs since 2018. People have not called them out on it. And they're saying that they're changing their terms and services. But if you look at the article here, they're not changing it that much. If you're sending a transaction on MetaMask, they are still going to log your IP address. Just because they changed a little bit. So if you only have a read account, they're not going to log your IP. That's nice, but it still doesn't change anything because most people are using MetaMask to send transactions. So they're still logging your IP information. I think, Jen, the reason that they respond with all this PR flair is because they had to. There's so many alternatives to MetaMask, and there's so many alternatives to Infura these days, that they have to answer to the people and answer to the critics out there. So this, to me, is just like another frustration uh, and just another stamping of the boot on top of privacy-focused people. I think this is why everyone needs to go run a node. And I do think a lot of people at MetaMask or at Infura would tell you the same thing. I think the reason they have to do this is because regulators are coming for them. Consensus, Infura, MetaMask, these are all very large brands. People know about them. I'm sure they have very expensive lawyers and retainer who are asking them to file these IP logs. That's the reason that's in the terms and services. That's the reason it's actually happening because regulators want this to occur. So I think if you go and talk to anyone, Dan Finley at MetaMask or someone else in the Infura team, they tell you to go run your own node uh, because anything with privacy is not going to happen with Infura or MetaMask. They're going to do what they can Uh, But at the end of the day, they have to answer to regulators. Zach, to you.
0: All right. Well, they also answered to the angry mob, and I I, I will give them credit here. That what they're they're doing is they are providing advanced settings to make it easier to use non-Infura RPC services as well. So they can make it so that you're able to sort of toggle on and off whether or not these IP addresses are going to be shared between your MetaMask and your Infura. If it's something that you don't like, they're going to make it easier for you to opt out of it. And I think like the optionality, right? Kind of go back to what we were just talking about before. You can do crypto through the big banks or you can do crypto self-custodially, right? And there's an entire plethora of options that exist in between and on that spectrum. And I think that's what this is. that's why this is good, right? This is providing another option for folks who are significantly concerned about this. When they're using their MetaMask, they don't want any data being shared between wholly owned consensus services, right? So I think to their credit, they're providing the option to people who are especially mindful about this stuff while also responding to some of the uh, concerns that had been brought up And I think, you know, they're not shying away from the fact that they responded, that they're responding to the backlash, right? You know, Joe Lubin is out talking to Fortune saying, we've accelerated our efforts based on the intensity of this recent debate, right? So I think um, to Jen's point, it is good that they are hearing that and making some adjustments. Will, your point is fair. I guess I would just shout out that by making the advanced settings more available to people, it's giving them the ability to escape some of the stuff should they so choose. So anyway, can't we all just get along? Maybe not. All right, that's it that's it for this sh- that's it for this part of the show at least we're taking a little break and then we're going to do some more talking on the other side of the break you know what we're going to talk about this new ledger wallet I'm not talking about this Bitcoin mining in East Africa because we're going to talk about this ledger wallet that looks real sexy and it's the guy who works on the iPod with Apple so stick with us for that in addition to this cool story about Bitcoin mining on the hash on a Tuesday we'll talk to you soon
1: Times are tough, particularly for crypto, but Bitstamp's different. Bitstamp is the longest-running crypto exchange and among the most regulated in the world, which includes a bit license in New York and a payment institution license in Europe. And when it comes to your funds, with Bitstamp, your crypto belongs to you. All your fiat and crypto are kept 100% separated. It's why CryptoCompare ranked Bitstamp the number one crypto exchange, awarding them the highest possible AA rating. Learn more at bitstamp.net.
3: And welcome back to the hash. We're going to East Africa to talk about Gridless, a Bitcoin mining company that just raised 2 million dollars from venture capital firm Stillmark and Jack Dorsey's Block. 2 million dollars to build more on-grid or off-grid stable Bitcoin mining for East African communities that are already, st- already struggling with energizing. What this basically does is enable a uh, small local uh, places that need energy to have funding via the Bitcoin network. So in essence, you take a small stream or you take a small power source and you monetize it by adding Bitcoin mining to the grid. As disclosure, I do work for a Bitcoin mining company that does not have any relationship with either of these two firms. It's a pretty cool story in the bear market. I think it's also notable given that we just saw a decrease in Bitcoin's uh, difficulty yesterday, which made it a little bit easier for Bitcoin miners to exist During this bear doldrum, Bitcoin's difficulty went down about 7.3% yesterday, which really helped out a lot of miners in the space. Jen, I want to throw the story over to you. I think the takeaway here is that Bitcoin mining can be used all over the world, not just the United States or not just in Texas, which has sort of been the story for the last year or so.
2: I loved reading the story. I'm just so bullish on all the stories on today's show. And Will, while I was reading the story, I remembered, I think, last year I asked you, Why isn't this happening in more rural communities that don't have electricity? And I don't remember what your answer was. But when I lived in South Africa, I did a lot of reporting on the electricity issues that are happening in rural communities in Africa. And I think that this is just a great solution. Uh, And and during a bear market, we think about the reason why Bitcoin was invented. And we think about the people in these rural, rural communities. And not only do they often not have access to power, but they are often also unbanked. And so I think that if, if these mining operations can be set up there and they can offer power to these communities, that's the first step to then getting these communities access to the internet. And that's the next step to getting them to be able to use Bitcoin as, as peer-to-peer cash when they don't have access to the banking systems in their countries. And so I love this story. Wendy, what do you got?
1: I'm excited about it. I think it is so cool to watch other underdogs thrive all over the world. It's a good feel-good story. And Bitcoin really does fix a lot of things. So hopefully this is done fairly soon, and hopefully the people in the area are able to um, get some revenue coming in with jobs, et cetera, building this thing. So I think it's exciting. I'm happy to hear it. This is a really feel-good story for the day. Yeah, yeah I'll sign not really
0: quick of- and add a little more color. Oh, go ahead, Zach. No, nah, nah, I just wanted to say, like, not a lot of good news in the Bitcoin mining sector uh, lately. And I wanted to throw this to Will, actually. You know, you saw this major difficulty adjustment suggesting that more and more people are sort of turning off their miners. And yet we have this new venture that's looking at new ways to get it going. Like, it, do they stand a fighting chance, Will? This is $2 million. This is not a huge round. Is this something that could last for the long haul, even if, you know, difficulty continues its, its, uh, its downward march?
3: Yeah, I think what you're saying here is actually also a Bitcoin venture capitalist story where a lot of Bitcoin venture capital firms, they try to be very conservative. They're very limited in their playbook. And a lot of the Bitcoin mining companies we've seen bust or go bust have been public. They've gone after public dollars and that has not gone so well. They've raised a lot of money and it basically turned very sour. I think there was an article in Bloomberg yesterday detailing how Texas is becoming a wasteland for Bitcoin miners when it was supposed to be the promised land for Bitcoin miners. I think this story, the really cool part about it, which Jen was hinting at, is the fact that in a sense, Western dollars flowing into Bitcoin is subsidizing energy buildouts in East Africa. So if you think about how the Bitcoin network works, anyone can plug into the network, anyone can turn on a miner. And then if you have a local energy source, then you can exchange that energy for Bitcoin and sell that Bitcoin, mostly to Westerners who are interested in buying it. And then that money flows back into the energy sources and into local communities. And that's what we're seeing with things like gridless, where they're finding very cheap energy sources that otherwise would be hard to monetize because there's just not enough infrastructure on site. They plug in a Bitcoin miner, they're able to energize that source almost immediately using Western dollars. And then they're able to recirculate that back into the economy and actually start to build out infrastructure for a local community using this global neutral platform that we call Bitcoin. So I think this is a really like heartwarming story in the middle of the bear market and one that I really enjoy just like Jen does. And hopefully we see more of this stuff. And I think the parallel towards it, or I guess the contrast I should say, is all the wasted money that we've been seeing in Texas where people have been building these huge mines that are going belly up because there was just too much money put into that pot. We should have been focusing on the smaller stuff. But that is my takeaway for the day. Throw it up to you, Zach. Moving to the next story.
0: All right. Well, I'll bounce pass it over to Wendy for the next story. Wendy,
1: this is an exciting story, and I actually may do a demo of this on my channel because it seems so easy to use. Ledger partners with iPod creator Tony Fidel to build latest hardware wallet. He's going to help create the new Ledger Stacks hardware wallet. Um, he was the founder of the Apple iPod. I don't know if you guys remember those, but I remember those way back in the day. You had those little fun iPods, and you would pirate music off of LimeWire. Not like I did that or anything, but I've heard stories. I read it on the internet. I definitely did that. (laughs) 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 That's what you would use your your Apple iPod for. He also is a co-founder and former CEO of Thermostat company Nest. And Stacks is the size of a credit card with magnets. So you can stack multiple devices. You can also put your NFTs there, And it'll show transactions, which that's super exciting. I've set up a million ledgers and every single time I do it, I'm so scared. I'm so nervous. It's such a stressful experience because you have to use a ledger live. You can't really see anything on the ledger. But this is really cool. It looks like a little cell phone and you can stack it. And I just think it's really, really, really awesome. And apparently these are going to cost about $279. In quarter one of 2023, Ledger, please send me a few. I'd like to demo on my channel. (laughs) Let me send this over to Jen.
2: Um, Okay, I'll go really quickly and then I'll pass it off to Will. I think this is awesome. We talk so much about this, like mainstream adoption, right? And Ledger just had their highest day of their highest single day of sales right after the FTX implosion, and now we have this person who created the iPod, then was the CEO at Nest. And so I think if anyone understands mainstream adoption, it is this person. And I think that if we're going to achieve that in the space, we need this diversity of thought. We need people who have worked on products that are not necessarily in the Web3 space, but they understand how to bring products to a mass market. And so I think this is really cool. I also want one. So Ledger, maybe you could just make that like a whole hash story. hash edition. Uh, Yeah, just do a hash edition, send it off to us. We'll stack them up. I think probably um, I don't know about journalistic integrity there, but we can just work that out later. Well,
3: <laughs> that's okay. Put it, put it away for one day. Now this is a cool story. I was actually working with my ledger yesterday. Uh, basically, never touch it, maybe once a year, and there's a reason for that. Like I just want to have it out of sight, out of mind. The difficulty when you use it, however, is still there. Like I, I know I'm working with a digital cash object, and just like cash, if I leave my five dollars on the street and I go back in thirty minutes and it's gone. I'm not getting it back. So if I use this incorrectly with my Bitcoin or whatever, and I don't put the Bitcoin on there correctly, it's gone. And so I think there's just a fundamental problem with a lot of these hardware wallets where it's confusing to use, it's worrying to use, it gets a little nervous when you're touching around with the buttons. And that's what they're trying to address with these problems, right? Make it sleek, make it sexy, it make it fun to have, make it secure, make it easy to onboard someone, make it easy to use. And that's what they seem to be addressing. I think that's a huge win for everyone. And just like you noted there, there's some great information about how Ledger has been taken off ever since the fall of FTX. People are taking more an interest in self-custaining their funds, which is a huge win for everyone. Wendy, I think I saw your hand go back up.
1: I'm just excited because I can actually see my NFTs and store them safely on the Ledger. Like that Mm -hmm. is absolutely awesome. Zach?
0: I just want to say first Metro Boomin, now Tony (laughs) Fidel ledger out here making hay while the sun shines as everyone is rushing to self-custody these guys are hitting it from all all corners it's crazy who is ledger what is going on this is amazing you got this cool thing tony fidel's like okay you look at existing hardware wallets and this is sort of in that moment like before the ipod when you had all these janky mp3 players on the market there was no market leader ledger happens to be the market leader in this segment already and it's saying, okay, we need to like up our game and make this more accessible, more usable to people. So that, again, the ethos of self-custody that Bitcoin was all about can be more widely promulgated across the space, hopefully in service of escaping some of these CFI shenanigans that we've seen time and time again. So Ledger's killing it right now. I, I'm, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. I will I, I don't need a free one. I'll go buy one for $239. <laughs> wow. whatever. Zach's don't the only one with integrity one. on the show. I'm impressed. Zach doesn't I'm impressed. want
2: one. <laughs> I
1: don't
0: want one. Do not. You know what? One.
1: Free products are okay. Just as long as you disclose, Hey, this was gifted to me. I'm going to do whatever it is. I think it's Classic cool. And like, YouTuber. I've got, Hey, I've gotten <laughs> free tacos at places and food at places. I, I, never mind, But it's a nice thing. It's fun. Use your power, Zach.
0: And no, I'm, I'm getting one. This, this is, I mean, this is potentially like a really big moment in crypto hardware history, right? Like the iPod was a revolutionary device. It led to like the iPhone. It led to all this subsequent innovation. And for this potentially to be something along those lines, because you're tapping into that lineage to the designer itself. Very interesting. Going to be watching this one closely. They're already, you know, Jen, as you mentioned, the sales are already through the roof in the wake of FTX's collapse. And now they're hitting the market with a new product that may be easier potentially better pending wendy's review i'll check out wendy's review before i decide <laughs> to, to plunk down that cold, that cold cold heart cash all right where's that's it for the show link, today Zach?
1: where's What's your ref link
0: Dude, i don't have any links. what are you talking about god you're killing me with it anyway all right that's <laughs> it for the show today thanks for watching the hash on coindesk tv thanks for also listening to us on the coindesk podcast network we like when you watch. We like when you listen. We like that you're here. Thanks for spending time with us. We know that your time is a valuable commodity. So thanks for being with us. I'm Zach Seward. That's Will Foxley, Wendy O, Jensen Sinassi. We're The Hash. We're on Coindesk TV. We'll talk to you tomorrow. See you.
1: Bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network.